This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Next Stop Mississippi. I'm Sherita Brent here with Mary Margaret Miller of Visit Mississippi. And today we're all about the Mississippi Blues Trail. We'll take you down the trail's beginnings, the highlights, and where it's going next. Good morning, Mary Margaret. How are you? Good morning, Sherita. Glad to be back with you in the studio on Friday. Absolutely. I went to Fondren's first Thursday yesterday. And I am addicted to this popcorn. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know the name of it. What kind of popcorn is it? it they, they they make it in this huge kettle corn. Yes, that. Uh, I went just to get that popcorn, and uh, it's a wonder I'm not eating it this morning. But I'm telling you, man, that place is just great. Just seeing all the creatives and the local artists and folks singing on corners. There was poetry. It's really cool. Well, it really is, and I'm surprised I didn't bump into you. I made a point to get up to Fondren first. Thursday uh, this week because you're always saying such good things about it (laughs) and it's literally a half a mile from my house Uh, so we went up and met friends and literally just walked around I mean it's great the uh, community the sense of community there and you know it's funny this week I was participating in a conference here in Jackson called Position for Progress a gathering of nonprofits and other grant making organizations from around the southeast really and I saw a lot of faces from the conference so People were coming in, you know, to Jackson for this uh, conference event, but made their way over to Fondren for a little evening activity. Yeah, it's kind of magnetic and hard to stay away when you see all those people walking and you hear the sounds and it just feels right. And it's so funny because it seems like the first of the month comes around so quickly. I feel like I was just there, but uh, just a, a really great way to, to start the month. So Fondra's First Thursday, if you Google, you can see the pictures and I guarantee you it will entice you to go the next time. Um, so we're going to be talking about some of the, the, the trails today, particularly the Blues Trail. And there are lots and lots of markers on the trail. Um, And so I'm just curious to know, is there any question or any doubt that Mississippi is the birthplace of the blues? Does anybody else try to claim that title? You know, I don't think anyone else claims that title. You know, maybe sometimes we get uh, pushback on the birthplace of America's music. But Mm -hmm. when it comes to the birthplace of the blues, I'm going to put my money on Mississippi. Yeah. So let's talk about the trails in general and the markers. Um, h- how did it come to be that, all right, well, we need to have a trail for, for our blues markers. We have all these accomplishments, all these blues artists that have done that have done all these things. Uh, who came up with the idea or how did you come to the conclusion that you needed to make a trail? Well, you know, the Mississippi Blues Commission, which is the body that kind of manages the trail, so to speak, um, was set up in 2006. But before that, there were a lot of people and a lot of great minds at play saying this blues culture is more than just entertainment. It's mm-hmm. really about who we are, about our fabric as as, as a people and as, as a history. And it's also about, about who we want to be. This is a big part of who we are, and we want to tell this story as we grow the state, both from an economic development perspective, but also from a, a cultural heritage perspective. So in 2006, the Mississippi Blues Commission was established by uh, legislative action. So meaning that um, uh, the government 
appoints uh, members to the commission, and, and they gathered and and worked with scholars from around the state to create what we call the master list of Mississippi Blues Trail markers. So from those early stages of development, what markers um, or what people, what places uh, needed to be recognized, um, we've grown, obviously, to uh, now um, almost 200 markers on the Mississippi Blues Trail. Mm-hmm. Um Early on with the Mississippi Blues Trail, there was funding in place from the National Endowment for the Arts and the National Endowment for the Humanities. And I think this is an important thing to note because um, when you explore the Mississippi Blues Trail, you really are learning more than just about like who sang on what song and what record label they used. We have themes about agriculture, transportation, civil rights, gender that are threaded throughout these markers. And and those are those humanities, those arts ties that are so important, I think, to really understand the breadth and the depth of of this project. Okay, so now that you say that, it makes sense that scholars are involved uh, because they need to be able to do research and uh, have some accurate facts on uh, those markers. Uh, is it hard to find those scholars? Do you do you find that they come to you guys and say, hey, we've had this passion or this interest in this particular artist for a long time, and, and here's what we discovered, and we think, we think this story needs to be told? Well, the folks who really got the trail off the ground had the forethought to, to work with the right scholar team. Uh, Jim O'Neill and Scott Beretta, both um, former editors of Living Blues magazine, who have truly um, written every single word that you see on all of our markers throughout the world. Um, so these two scholars were at the at the very beginning with us at, at the very beginning and are still with us today. Provide um, uh, the team with a lot of great direction, and you've heard me say this on this show before, but I just don't think it can be said enough. They provide us with primary research, meaning that, uh, for example, we recently put a marker in Moss Point, Mississippi. We we don't have um, as much scholarship on coast on Mississippi coast blues as we do on, say, Mississippi Delta blues. Mm-hmm. So Jim O'Neill spent a lot of time in the Moss Point community at the local library doing research, digging into what the music culture looked like there in terms of the clubs, in terms of the players in those clubs, uh, the the people who might have passed through, the proprietors. That really all plays into um, into the culture of our state. So Jim's there doing research in the libraries, talking to locals, doing a lot of interviews. And um, I'm very proud that when you read a Mississippi Blues Trail Marker, you may you're very likely reading something that you wouldn't be able to find in a book mm-hmm. or let's say on Wikipedia. Now you mentioned local interviews. How important would you say people of the community are when it comes to helping uh, develop and, and tell those stories? You you probably have somebody who's sitting on the porch and just is a gem full of information and knowledge. Would you say the community uh, people in the community are very important? I'd say they're invaluable. Mm. I mean, I think that this trail is as much about community and about uh, local culture and local history as it is about tourism or music promotion. Um, This is really a way for Mississippians to know their story and um, to literally have that marked and and signified in their communities. Um, Because before, 
um, you, you, this isn't just something you were going to learn about in your fourth grade Mississippi history class. But actually now a lot of people are doing that because in addition to our, our physical markers, we do have a curriculum in place that teaches Mississippi history through the lens of the Blues Trail. So you can um, have a lesson on the civil rights movement that uses B.B. King's song lyrics mm. um, to really explain what um, his experience was in Mississippi in the Jim Crow South. Uh, so let's talk about, oh, now this is kind of a weird question. Um, have any markers ever needed to be amended or something added to a marker? Or once it's there, is it there for good? Once it's there, it's there for good. I can say that with um, with the Blues Trail particularly. We haven't really had to make many amendments. But one really cool design element uh, as part of the trail is something that you can credit Wanda Clark, a great um, graphic designer and, and production um, person with Hammonds & Associates, is the backside of the marker is a vinyl overlay. So everybody's familiar with these markers. One side has raised lettering with the gold um, gold leaf paint. The back side has a vinyl overlay. This was really a, a thought of, of the folks over at Hammonds & Associates, a way for the markers to offer a deeper story. So more copy, more content, and also images, you know, pictures of the performers at the place, uh, you know, uh, and a replica of a, of a record or, you know, an old Epiphone or something cool like that. Well, a, another beautiful um, aspect of that is, is not only do you have more information and visual images to help, you know, bring you into the space, but they can also be changed. So, mm. you know, as we know, the blues is not just something we talk about in retrospect. It's something that's happening every day and changing yes. every day. So, you know, Sharita, as someone who participates in, in the blues music, you know, as, as a drummer yourself, you know, one day you might be on a blues trail marker. So Ooh. maybe we modify, um, you know, one of the markers here in Jackson to include drummer Sharita Brent when you, you know, of course, put out your, you know, 25th gold album or whatever that <laughs> may be. Um, but that is the, the idea is that as the story grows from Mississippi and as it changes, those markers can grow as well. Mm -hmm. So who pays for the markers? Uh, or is there money raised within the community to get one up in a particular town? How does that work? Yeah, so there is grant funding. Um, we've gotten grant funding in the past to support the trail, like I said, from the National Endowment for the Arts, National Endowment for the Humanities, and the Mississippi Department of Transportation has been a huge partner um, on the Mississippi Blues Trail. But we do ask for the communities to provide a um, cash match of sorts um, to get the markers in the ground. We want to make sure that there's, um, for lack of a better term, buy-in from the communities, that are, the communities are invested in um, not only um, kind of the physical aspect of the marker, but really uh, the ceremonial aspect as well, you know, um, taking com taking pride in the marker, but making sure that it's taken care of, you know, mm -hmm. um, mowing around it, planting some flowers, looking out for it. Um, and, you know, we've we found this to be a great um, a great process and a great model, one that we've replicated twice now with the Country Music Trail and the Mississippi Freedom Trail, because it really has um, proven to work well. Do you think markers can kind of shift the culture of a community and improve tourism and uh, attract people to a certain town? I hope so. I mean, I think that you can look at Clarksdale as a case study. Um, I don't know off the top of my head how many markers we have in Clarksdale, but I know it's north of, of 12 or 14. And, mm. um, you know, you've read about Clarksdale in the New York Times. You've likely spent time there. 
But, you know, you can't go too far without bumping into a Mississippi Blues Trail marker. And I like to think that that infrastructure has been part of the renaissance there that's associated with um, cultural travel. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll talk about some particular markers. We'll highlight some of those and hear their stories. And uh, this is Next Stop Mississippi on MPB Think Radio. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to Next Stop Mississippi on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Next Stop Mississippi on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Britt here with Mary Margaret Miller of Visit Mississippi. And today we're all about the Mississippi Blues Trails, or taking you down the trail's beginnings, the highlights, and where it's going next. All right, uh, Mary Margaret, so let's go back to the beginning, those first few markers. Uh, who were the lucky ones to be chosen for those first, first few markers on the Mississippi Blues Trail? Well, here's kind of a little-known story about the first markers on the Mississippi Blues Trail. You know, as I mentioned, um, the commission was formed in 2006, but a lot of people were really behind the scenes thinking about how we mark and tell the Mississippi Blues story long before that. Um, you know, uh, Dr. Luther Brown, who was uh, with Delta State University, was kind of part of this group. Alan Hammonds, who I mentioned earlier. Um, there were a lot of people really at play. But during that time, um, pre-2006, two preliminary markers were placed in Indianola. And who knows what the deal is with blues in Indianola? It's B.B. King, <laughs> of right? Of course, yes. <laughs> so they they placed one marker at a corner where B.B. King played as a young as a young man, and then they also placed a marker at Club Ebony, which is you know the famed juke joint right behind the B.B. King Museum, uh, mm-hmm. where he always played when he came home for the the homecoming concert. That was free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. The concert was well. The the homecoming concert was free. Club Ebony, I think, had a price. Right. Of course, but, you got to have a cover charge. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, it makes it more exclusive. Yes. But uh, yeah, so th- those are where the first two uh, kind of preliminary markers were placed. So when you do go to Club Ebony, you'll notice that that marker looks a little different than the other markers around the state. Mm-hmm. So that's a fun fact right there. But actually, the first, I guess you would say, official markers on the Mississippi Blues Trail uh, were dedicated on uh, December 11th, 2006. So, you know, in just about a month, we're going to celebrate 10 years on the wow. trail. Hard to believe a lot of great work has gone into this by a lot of really good people. Uh, the first marker um, was uh, was at Holly Ridge, Mississippi, um, and uh, dedicated to, of course, the one and only Charlie Patton. Um, that was, uh, the, in the morning, then later that day, uh, the crew rode over to Greenville and placed a marker on Nelson street and then wrapped up the afternoon with a marker, um, in Greenwood for WGRM radio. Mm. So, uh, quite the, uh, the triple punch there, but then, you know, things really started moving pretty quickly and in 2007, um, I've got the list in front of me, but I mean, there were dozens of markers erected that year. 
um, all the way from other, you know, uh, Delta-based towns like Leland and Shaw. I actually spoke with a woman this morning from Shaw where we celebrated Honey Boy Edwards, you know, a very beloved blues musician, um, all the way over to the Queen City, Jimmy Rogers. You know, mm. we talk about him as the father of country music, but he really had a lot of blues roots. So uh, those early markers, I think uh, you could say, were really laying the foundation for what would become a more expanded story uh, across the state, eventually outside of the state, and now internationally. Yeah, we're, we're going to get to that as well. Uh, but I'm curious, what are the requirements for uh, a marker? Do you have to be alive? Do you have to be uh, passed, you know, deceased? What What are the requirements? Well, the markers don't necessarily, um, are not all necessarily about people per se. Mm-hmm. So some of the markers Because are, you did mention civil rights and agriculture. Yeah, so mm-hmm. some are, are more theme oriented. They may be um, about certain um, areas of town where a lot of blues music was um, taking place or being performed. They could be about radio stations or record companies. Um, but I think that uh, it's safe to say that um, the Mississippi Blues Trail markers, they, they, they tell a specific story, a specific um, aspect of, of Mississippi blues. So um, you're not going to learn about Chicago-style blues um, on a Mississippi marker. You may learn about someone who spent a great deal of time in Chicago and returned home. Um, but in terms of uh, of actual um, criteria, we're, we want to celebrate um, the people, the stories, um, the places, the experiences around um, the growth of the blues out of Mississippi, mm-hmm. in and out of Mississippi. Now, uh, I think we're going to talk about this a little later as well, but we do have a process for nominating markers on the Mississippi Blues Trail, and, and there are some specific guidelines there. So if you wanted to nominate um, a blues club or a, a certain festival, we have a minimum 25-year requirement for uh, uh, production, um, uh, promotion of Mississippi artists associated with your club or your festival. So mm-hmm. that's like one uh, criteria for markers being nominated. Um, but for our um, our master list, again, we you know have always uh, given focus and priority to uh, the markers that. Um, that Jim O'Neill and Scott Brett in conjunction with the commission uh, put together all those years ago. So let's talk about, um, before we talk about some more local markers, markers internationally. Uh, do we have one in France? Is it France? Yeah, we do. We have um, we have several um, markers now outside of the United States. One is in Coors, France, and it's for the Coors Blues Festival, which is a popular festival that's been hosting Mississippi artists for quite some time. Now, that was the second international marker that we placed through a great partnership with um, our friends over um, in Europe with Lofthouse International. It's our our um, team that promotes travel to Mississippi um, from uh, from from the grounds, if you will, uh, in UK and um, in Europe. We also um, uh, the first marker though was um, placed in Natadden, Norway. And this is an interesting and fun fact. Natadden is a sister city with Clarksdale. Oh. So there had long been sort of a cultural exchange relationship between Natadden and Clarksdale. And we were able to recognize that with a marker there in Natadden, Norway. And then recently we, we launched a project that's pretty exciting and, and really out of the box um, for a mobile marker. Now, what do you think I'm talking about when I say a mobile marker? A mobile marker. If I had to guess, I would think um, 
one that is like a, a traveling marker. Um, but I don't know if that makes sense. And the other thought is something dealing with technology. Well, so good, good thoughts, both good thoughts. Um, the mobile marker is, is exactly what you said. It, it's a marker that can move around. It is built to the same scale, the same size, um, dimensions as uh, one of our cast aluminum markers that you'd find on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can be boxed up, taken down, boxed up, and moved around. And, and oh. the idea behind this marker is, again, working with our international partners, we can share the experience, uh, the feel, the size of being near a Mississippi Blues Trail marker um, on a festival site or at um, mm. at an international travel show um, where we, we do a lot of promotions uh, travel to the state through travel shows. So this marker, the the Mississippi to Europe marker, really talks about the influence of, of Mississippi blues music on popular rock and roll like the Rolling mm-hmm. Stones and Led Zeppelin and, and how Mississippi music really influenced um, so many of, of the rock bands and whatnot that we're familiar with today. So it's a really cool project. Um, it's going to travel throughout uh, the festival circuit in Europe and UK and hopefully bring a lot of people back over to come and experience music right here uh, in at, at Ground Zero. You know, it wasn't until I traveled to Europe that I was able to grasp the appreciation for the Mississippi Blues. Um, while we were there, it was about this time last year, I mean, there was just a complete embrace of the original music, and they were just telling us all these facts, even stuff I didn't know. They've studied Mississippi's music, and I thought, man, this is really an honor and humbling to know that all this 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 way, you know, we're, we're this far away, and still people are connected to our music. So I think our markers belong there because our, our blues culture is appreciated there. That's great to hear you had that experience. It's really um, our musicians are the best ambassadors for Mississippi. I mean, the markers are great, but it's our wonderful, awesome musicians who spend their days and nights away from their family and far away from home, sharing this great music, telling a great story, and really um, talking about why we call Mississippi home. Not everybody understands that until you live here and you experience the people and the complexity of this place. It's really um, amazing. Um, but yeah, And music is the best language. I mean, many times there were language barriers. We didn't understand each other. But when the music was going, there was a connection, and I thought this was really special. Well, exactly. And, you know, I can sound like a broken record on this, but I, you know, I'm, like you said, a lot of Europeans, a lot of international travelers, they know the Mississippi music story so much better than we do at home. Mm-hmm. So we take it for granted. We take it for granted. Yeah. So making sure that our markers are accurate, that they tell uh, a truthful story, an accurate story is something I'm very passionate about. And, and of course, our, our entire team is passionate about. Um, but you got to um, you got to tell that story and you got to tell it right, because guess what? You'll get called out oh, on man. it if you, you don't. That's a it's a pleasure of some people to, to correct you. Say, hey, that's not right. That's, that's <laughs> take down. Don't I know it. Don't I know it. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to ask you to do something pretty unfair here. And that is to highlight a few markers, uh, those that have stood out to you. Maybe they're the most popular or the most visited. Could you identify a few of those? Yeah, sure, sure. Now, you know, I think that um, 
for me, you know, the markers that really stand out the most are the ones that I've been able to participate in or I've, you know, had some sort of role in working with the communities or just attending um, the unveilings. And one of those uh, markers is the Jack Owens marker in Bentonia. Now, um, Jack Owens um, was a great player and a lot of um, of current Mississippi musicians probably spent time with him out at his place in Bentonia. Now, we mostly think about um, you know, Jimmy Duck Holmes and the Blue Front Cafe when mm-hmm. we think about Bentonia. But Jack Owens um, really preceded uh, Jimmy Duck Holmes. And, and you know, is his Jimmy Duck Holmes is his protege. But the day we were out um, at the unveiling for Jack Owens, the marker's um, right on the side of, of a little two-lane road, and it's near his farm. And the trees there, it was a, like a fall day, were huge and bare. And they were like swaying with the wind. And maybe I sound a little like Moonlight Magnolias over here, but it was really magical. I mean, like you could really feel like a strong presence and a strong spirit that day. And it was Mm. such a, it was just that. It was a spiritual experience. And and that's what I like about these um, marker unveilings is, is it's such a celebration and um, and oftentimes celebration that never happened during this person's lifetime. OK, I was I was wondering about that. How often do you unveil markers where, you know, a person is there to see it being put up? That's pretty uncommon. Well, you know, sadly, it's probably a little more um, uncommon than we'd like or mm-hmm. a little more common than we'd like. You know, I was really proud that we put up the marker for Leo Bud Welch just, you know, a month ago over in Bruce, Mississippi, because he is a living artist that we were um, glad to honor, happy to honor. And I think it, you know, meant a great deal to him um, to be honored that day. So, um, you know, I, we're able to there and, and there will be more living artists to honor as the trail grows. Um, uh, so another great um, memory of mine is a similarly named artist, Big Jack Johnson, um, beloved Clarksdale artist. Uh, we put a marker up for him uh, on the corner right by Red's Juke Joint. And we did it uh, the weekend of the um, Sunflower River Blues Festival. So we had a great crowd, a lot of people gathered, and, uh, you know, folks offered remarks, um, lots of picture-taking. One of his bands was there to, like, play and jam a little bit, and it was just a a beautiful sight. But I met several members of of his family, and one of his daughters, um, I have a picture of this on my Instagram account, had this remarkable tattoo of her dad on her arm. Mm. So like literally from shoulder to elbow was like this portrait of her dad. Great, beautiful tattoo, but it was, it was just haunting and beautiful. And, um, that was a really, really fun day, a fun day indeed. Now, some of the markers have a little more of a, an academic feel to them. Um, when we unveiled the marker for W.C. Handy in Florence, Alabama, we did that at the W.C. Handy birthplace, which is a a house museum. It's a small log cabin that's been turned into a museum. It's a really neat space to explore. But um, we, of course, had handy scholars to offer remarks on, you know, his role in the development of the blues. And uh, uh, I believe it was his nephew or son gave some remarks as well. It was it was a great experience, but, you know, a little more buttoned up than Mm -hmm. some of uh, the others that we've had back home in Mississippi. So is there a lot of community support for these unveilings? Uh, are they really like a big deal? Yeah, I, I would say that in most communities we get a lot of support and a lot of interaction. People um, are excited and eager to come out. Um, 
see the markers, uh, you know, hear from the family and friends of the musicians, hear from the musicians themselves. So uh, we do get a lot of community support. And for that, I'm really glad. You know, I think that uh, the Mississippi Blues Trail is just such a point of civic pride for so many. Um, so this is a, a great program. I think, in my humble opinion, one of the strongest tourism products, I say that with air quotes, um, to ever come out of any state government agency. So I'm, you know, really proud of the work that um, the people have been able to do here. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll talk about some new markers that are on the horizon, and we'll continue our conversation about the Mississippi Blues Trail. We aren't taking calls today, but you can send us an email to nextstop at mpbonline.org. I'm Sherita Brent here with Mary Margaret Miller. We'll be back right after this break. You're listening to Next Stop Mississippi on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to Next Stop Mississippi. I'm Sherita Brent in studio with Mary Margaret Miller of Visit Mississippi. Today we've been talking about the Mississippi Blues Trail and some of the markers that are all across the state and even in other countries. Uh, but now we're going to talk about some things that are coming up regarding the Mississippi Blues Trail. Uh, Mary Margaret, a bit of good news. We're going to be featured in the Oxford American Magazine. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, Oxford American usually does uh, an annual music issue. In the past, they focused on different states. One year, there was a, a Mississippi focus. It was a really cool CD that came along with the magazine. Well, this year, they're kind of switching uh, switching things up a bit, and they're doing uh, a blues-themed issue. So it'll be mm-hmm. more um, about more than just Mississippi, but, of course, Mississippi's going to have a big focus in their Visionaries of the Blues issue. So I hope you'll all um, you know, keep on the lookout for this upcoming issue of Oxford American. Again, you'll get that bonus CD as part of this special edition. And it's definitely, you know, a keepsake, something you'll want to keep on your shelf. But um, you can learn more about the trail there and just about uh, Mississippi as a music destination in general. Could you imagine having a soundtrack for all of our trail markers? Like how many albums would that be? 50? There's no telling that. Oh, gosh. Well, (laughs) if we've almost got 200, it'd have to be more than 50. That's a question for Scott Beretta. Okay. (laughs) Um, And so we're also, um, uh, could you you talk a little bit about the Mississippi Blues Foundation Benevolent Fund? It sounds like it's for a good cause. Yeah, I do appreciate you bringing that up. Now, we have a great website, msbluestrail.org. And, you know, I encourage folks, if you haven't um, 
spent much time there or it's been a little while to go there and check it out. It's a great way to see a list of the markers, check out a calendar of events. We've got a nice um, section full of different films that are about the the trail and and different people we honor. But uh, but there is a, a link there to what we call the Musicians Aid Fund. That's the Mississippi Blues Trail uh, Musicians Benevolent Fund. And, you know, this is not uh, news to anyone who lives in Mississippi, but a lot of um, of our blues musicians are live in extreme poverty. They need food. They need medical care. They need, you know, assistance of, 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 of many and various kinds. And, and what this fund does is it creates... Um, uh, a fund where we can help support musicians in need. Now, whether that's reaching out to someone after they've had an illness, we've had musicians um, who've experienced home fires or other, you know, just dire losses where we've been able to offer them, um, you know, a grant uh, to support um, their recovery. And, Mm -hmm. you know, to me, this is, you know, really what at the end of the day, this trail is all about. It's about, recognizing musicians, helping musicians, um, promoting musicians, and, and, and getting music into more places, more performance halls, more bars, more festivals, more churches. I don't care where it is, but, you know, getting get keep making sure that blues artists around the state um, can continue to make music as, you know, for a living. Absolutely. And uh, you mentioned bars and, and, and making music for a living. Something really cool on the on the Mississippi Blues Trail website is there's a list of recurring events that features uh, restaurants and bars and all these various places, clubs where you can hear blues on a regular basis. And I think that's really cool, uh, a really cool resource. So when you are in the vicinity of these towns, you'll know where to go to get your live music fix. Yeah, you know, it's always been a goal of ours at Visit Mississippi to work with our communities so that there's live music seven nights a week um, all, all across the state. And, you know, I think we're still working to achieve that. But um, you go to some communities and I'm telling you, there's something going on every night of the week. Um, so yeah, go there and check that out. You can also ask, um, you can request a map on, uh, the Mississippi Blues Trail website, but you know, of course, folks, you can also find those at our welcome centers and at any of our, um, Mississippi music museums, cultural attractions around the state. Now, do you have any suggestions for any kind of navigational course for uh, visiting these trails? Is this like a week-long thing, a month-long thing uh, for somebody who says, okay, I want to experience the Mississippi Blues Trail? How long do you think that would take? You know, I get this call a lot. I really do. People will call up to visit Mississippi. I'll get on the phone and they say, you know, I just retired. I want to come to Mississippi and do the Blues Trail. Mm -hmm. How long do I need? And I say, look, if you really want to do it right, you need to be here for two weeks. Okay, that's doable. Come and spend 14 days with us, mm-hmm. and we'll get you, you know, um, all throughout uh, Mississippi. We'll get you in and out of different um, regions, of different museums, um, you know. Uh, you'll probably come away a few pounds heavier, um, <laughs> but we'll feed you well and we'll make sure you meet a lot of interesting people along the way. But, you know, a couple of years ago, back in 2014, we partnered with Living Blues Magazine and did a special edition 
Mississippi Blues Trail uh, issue. And in that issue, they divide the trail really into different regions. So you can do uh, a, a particular itinerary, so to speak. So if you're, um, you know, Sam, we all know Sam went to Ole Miss and he loves mm-hmm. Hill Country Blues. So if Sam wants to go up uh, to Marshall County and explore uh, the roots of, of, of the Hill Country Sound, he can do that um, by uh, creating an itinerary on the Mississippi Blues Trail app. It's just that easy. Oh, and how do you get that app? It's free download. Um, just, uh, you know, go in the App Store and look for Mississippi Blues Trail. It should pop up pretty easily. Um, but through the app, you can uh, research markers, like I said, create itineraries, watch our films, uh, check in to a marker if you so please, so everybody knows you're at the, you know, Robert Johnson gravesite. Now, uh, all of the markers are pretty much in plain sight, right? They're not, like, hidden in any forest or anything like that. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to make you uh, strap on some hiking boots to get to (laughs) a marker, but some are a little more rural than others. Okay. Uh, So we're at 200 markers right now, right? We are very close to 200. Um, Right now we um, have 194 Mississippi Blues Trail markers in the ground. Uh, Coming up on 195, we'll have another marker in Greenville, Mississippi, uh, on the horizon. And then moving towards 200 markers uh, for 200 years of statehood. Uh, Okay, so there's not a cap or anything for the markers. We're just going to keep going as long as we can? Well, phase one, what we call phase one, has 215 markers. Oh, okay. Um, But I think that the commission, as well as the scholars and um, the communities in general, are very much in support of additional markers on the trail. All right. And uh, could you just reiterate one last time about how to apply for a marker? Yeah. So if you're interested in um, getting a Mississippi Blues Trail marker, you can always reach out to me at um, the uh, tourism office at Visit Mississippi. Um, But there is also a a link on the website on msbluestrail.org that um, offers you information on how to get a marker. Sounds good. All right. Do you have any additional thoughts? Well, I did want to mention um, for those of our friends who are really glad it's Friday, <laughs> I might encourage you to pick up a six-pack of Mississippi Blues Trail beer. Oh, tell uh, us about that. To kick right. off I'm sure your Sam weekend. wants to get in here, the, the <laughs> yeah, beer connoisseur. The, uh, the, the, the Blues Trail beer is delicious. Uh, it's from the Yellow Bush Brewing Company, I believe, isn't it, Mary Margaret, out of Holly, Spr- or, uh, Holly Springs, I think? That, Sam, you're right about the Yellow Bush Brewery. It's in Water, Water Valley. Valley. That's right. Uh, so you were pretty close, and I appreciate you uh, testifying to its uh, – uh, delicious nature. It is very, very good. And so, uh, a- Andy and uh, my, my buddy John Cofer would be mad at me if I didn't give him a plug on the show. So <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, part of the proceeds for the, the Blues Trail beer go towards um, the Blues Commission and the work they do towards that benevolent fund I mentioned, also towards um, what we call orphan markers, so markers that need a home that don't quite have the funding match to be um, put in place and uh, a multitude of other uh, good projects. So you can enjoy uh, the Blues Trail beer knowing that you are supporting um, arts and music in Mississippi. And probably, you know, those beers will make the music sound even better, too, depending on where you are. So, Sam, talk about the flavor of this beer. Is it bitter? <laughs> no, it's actually um, it's actually a pretty light beer that uh, is, uh, you know, you could, I wouldn't suggest drinking all six at one time. They're not, uh, they're not quite that light. But, uh, <laughs> it's a very, it's a very, very flavorful beer. I feel like I'm, I'm using my hands here to describe what's, what's it's, going on. It's pretty crisp. It's not too strong. No, it's um, not, and it's, uh, it's, it's really, really good. It's one of the better, uh, it's one of the better beers I've had from the Yellow Bush Brewing Company. 
Can well, we get a, a Blues Trail wine or some Blues Trail whiskey? Is that in the, the works? Well, we do I'm have a, for a, a Mississippi Blues Trail <laughs> coffee. I know how you feel about coffee, Sharita, so that's, yeah. not, your, <laughs> um, that's <laughs> not your gig. But you can pick that up at uh, Rolling River Roasters in uh, Natchez, Mississippi. So we've got the beer. We've got the coffee. Who knows what's next? All right. Blues Trail eggnog. I mean, we can just, you know. <laughs> yeah, Maybe our friends at Cathead Vodka in Mississippi will do something with uh, the the whiskey. I think they are brewing some whiskey anyway, so maybe they'll maybe they'll uh, call the Blues Trail folks. And yeah, well, they've been great supporters of live music. That is certainly true. So we appreciate that partnership just as it is. All right. Well, uh, folks, if you get a chance, uh, check out the Mississippi Blues Trail. And don't forget, you can go to uh, the website. And what is that website again? One more time, Mary Margaret. Uh, it's msbluestrail.org. All right, and so lots of good resources on there for you if you are interested in uh, visiting the trail. All right, we need to take a quick break. When we get back, uh, we'll talk about another trail here in Mississippi to close the show. We aren't taking any calls, but you can send us an email to nextstop at mpbonline.org. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to Next Stop Mississippi on MPB Think Radio. is on the line with us and we're going to talk about uh, Jimmy Rogers Museum and a little bit more about the Country Music Trail. Ken, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. How y'all doing? Doing well. So glad that you could join us today. All right. So Country Music Trail, I don't even know that a lot of Mississippians know that we have one of those. Uh, but uh, And, and uh, let, let us talk to us a little bit about Jimmy Rogers, who he was. Jimmy Rogers was the first person inducted into the uh, Country Music Hall of Fame. He was uh, born and buried in Meridian, Mississippi. Uh, he was born, I think, in 1897 and died in 1933 uh, in New York at the Taft Hotel. He was uh, doing a recording up there, and he actually uh, died of a tuberculosis. Wow. But, uh, yeah, and uh, but Jimmy Rogers, um, is, I think he's the only person that's in the blues, country music, rock and roll, and songwriters Hall of Fame. So you know we're celebrating his life, uh, May first and second, uh, with our with our music festival, which is the oldest music festival in yeah in the state of Mississippi, and it's the oldest country music festival in the nation. Mm-hmm. The oldest in the nation. That's outstanding. <laughs> and you know that means you've also got a museum there in Meridian, isn't that right, Ken? Yes, yeah, it's, it's in Highland Park. Um, Actually, it was, it was last year. It was voted to. Uh, it was voted one of the top fifty museums in the United States. So it's about ten thousand square feet. We have a lot of the original Jimmy Rogers artifacts there. We have his original guitar, and it's um, we have an appraisal. Supposedly, it's the, the most expensive guitar in the world. So it, it's there to see. Now, and, um, Jimmy Rogers is known as the singing brakeman. What does that mean? <laughs> Well, he grew up in Meridian back in the day. It was a huge railroad town. And his father, um, 
was trying to get him uh, in, over into the railroad industry. You know, he was he was working, and uh, sometimes he would, you know, as a, you know, as a teenager, and he would quit, and uh, he was wanting to go start like a traveling music show and all that, but his father would round him back up and send him back out on the railroad, and he would just he was hanging around, you know, the the workers of the railroad, and everybody had their song. A lot of the when they was laying the tracks and everything, it was kind of like a cadence. You know, they would sing and drive spikes and all that, and that's kind of where you know, he would start singing with the workers. You know, while they were driving tracks, you know, driving uh, stakes and stuff, and uh, it just it just kind of stuck. You know, one of one of the coolest stories um, about Jimmy Rogers, I think, is involves uh, Howlin' Wolf from up in uh, up in West Point. He was trying to do cover a Jimmy Rogers song, and it didn't uh, come out exactly right. And one of his friends said, "You know, you don't sound anything like Jimmy Rogers. You sound like a howling wolf." And so there, that's how he got his name. Oh wow! I did not know that. Wow. Yeah. Sure, he appreciated that mistake then. That's awesome. Ken, yeah. thank you so much for joining us and uh, giving us all this good information and uh, giving us a history lesson on Jimmy Rogers. And I uh, certainly didn't know that's how Howlin' Wolf got, got his name, so that was good to know, too. Ken, thank you so much for joining us today. That's right. And, and Jimmy Rogers was one of the first markers on the Mississippi Country Music Trail, which has about 28 markers on it right now. Wow. 30 is, there, being is it the done, or are you going to add some more? 30 markers is the goal to finish uh, okay. the first phase. Uh, but, yeah, you know, you think about blues when you think about Mississippi, but we've also got some really deep roots in, uh, in country music. You're listening to Next Stop Mississippi on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent here with Mary Margaret Miller, and we have one special event to share with you. Uh, Mary Margaret, this one is in Greene County. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about the 17th annual Old Times Day at the Batley Family Farm. This is located just about eight miles north of Leakesville off Highway 63. Okay. Um, so really cool event. This is not something you'd know about by reading in a magazine or uh, watching a travel channel show. This is really one of those off-the-beaten-path events that's just so cool that you can only find in Mississippi. So um, coming up on Saturday, November 5th, um, Old Times Day will take place. It's a demonstration of primitive farming methods like plowing, logging, running a cane mill, using mule power. Uh, but there's also a good bit of manpower displayed as well. They're going to um, uh, teach you how to uh, milk a cow and churn butter literally from beginning to end. Sounds Fun, I think. <laughs> yeah, I really, have you ever milked a cow? I've seen it done. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> I I don't think I would be very good at it. Okay. Um, but they're also going to grind and sell cornmeal throughout the day. But things get started around nine a.m. and uh, Phil and Susan Batley, the folks behind this event, um, are you know welcoming to visitors. There's going to be wagon rides um, and all sorts of like fun stuff for the family. So I do encourage folks um, to get out um, and uh, go enjoy this really neat, cool um, event. I think you'll see some things you've probably never seen before um, and really, I'm sure, meet some nice people as well. If you want more information, you can call 601-394-2385 or email trbatley, B-A-T-L-E-Y, at hotmail.com. 
uh, the kids are going to be in shock once they see these certain things being done. They're just used to going to the grocery store. But to see how, how things are done behind the scenes, you know, it's going to shock some of them, I believe. I think it would shock me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, because I've never, you know, I've heard of these things. But to see it live, you know, my mouth would probably drop, too. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, any big plans for the weekend? Well, you know, I am. I'm headed to North Mississippi. I have not been to any ball games this year, so we're going to make our way up to Ole Miss and Oxford uh, to see some friends, uh, show off the baby, and uh, spend a little time in Water Valley along the way. Nice, and congratulations, Sam. The Chicago Cubs won. Uh, you're a Cubs fan, aren't you? I am. Uh, I feel a lot better today. Yesterday was a little foggy at the mm-hmm. office, but uh, man, I can't. But I'm, uh, I'm still an absolute. Uh, shock about that. I told uh, Mary Margaret uh, when we were getting ready to do the show, it affected me more emotionally than I thought. So, uh, very, uh, did you very, cry, uh, Sam? Uh, yeah, I did. I Aww. did not. I was. Uh, I was wondering if that was going to happen, and it most definitely happened. So, uh, my what, wife. What's was, your connection to the Chicago Cubs? My sister uh, sang in uh, our church choir when I was growing up, and our church choir got uh, asked to perform the national anthem at Wrigley Field in 1991, mm-hmm. and I was eight. In 91, so my sister brought home a bunch of stuff, you know, jersey, a baseball bat pin, oh. and uh, I watched the game where she sang, and the Cubs uh, beat the San Diego Padres in the bottom of the 10th with a double from Mark Grace, mm-hmm. and I was so, with them ever since. That's so, where uh, it all began. Yeah. That may right. be where your love of more than just the Cubs began, maybe broadcast and yeah. sports in general. Yeah, I used to watch, I used to record the games off TV and practice stuff with a microphone in the in the house and all that so it was uh they were a very they're a a very big part of my summer for sure so it was pretty it's pretty uh, it was pretty neat well i really did enjoy watching the world series i'm not a big baseball fan but you know i think you can watch baseball and learn a lot about life oh yeah you know the manager pulling you out when you're feeling shaky and you know there's just a lot of i think um you know similes there that was a very intense game too so uh, and a couple of mississippi connections too chris coglin who played for the cubs and pinch ran in game seven is uh played at baseball at old miss and uh, mickey calloway the pitching coach for the cleveland indians is a uh, memphis native and pitched at old miss in the mid uh, 90s so all right well sam uh, continue to enjoy your cubs uh celebration and Mary Margaret, you'll be safe in uh, Oxford. I'm going to be telling jokes with Ricky Smiley tonight at the Jackson Convention Center. And uh, Joe Thomas is going to be singing. So this is in honor of the Jackson Medical Mall Foundation. That's right. 20th anniversary. Yeah. What a lineup. Get 15 minutes of fame, and then I'm going to go sit down and enjoy Joe. So hope I do well. Break a leg, Folks Sharita. Laugh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Sam, for producing the show. Mary Margaret, thank you for being in today. I really appreciate it. Stay tuned. Everybody's Southern Remedy for Women is coming up next. This is MPB Think Radio.